In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. gentlemen welcome back to the true life podcast i hope that these words find you in a state of happiness i hope the sun is reaching out its golden arms and embracing you with the wind at your back and a warm smile on your face i wanted to talk to you today about something i see happening in our world specifically between the Russian Crimea fiasco. I don't watch a whole lot of TV, and I read the news, but I try to read it from time to time because it seems so toxic to me. I would like to compare what's happening today to the potential of what happened almost a 100 years ago. Regardless of what you think or who you think is the bad operator in these events. Let's just look at it from an objective point of view. Russia goes into Ukraine. They have already secured parts of the Ukraine that will never be coming back, that will never be given back up to Ukraine. I think you're going to see, obviously, the Donbass, you know, Odessa, Mariupol, these new areas that are strategic for Russia will be annexed by Russia. And the longer Zelensky attempts to hold out, the worse it's going to be for Ukraine. There's a lot of hype about what is happening there, and we don't really know. None of us are going to know. But you can listen to some military analysts, some people on the ground, and understand that what you're seeing is probably one of the most strategic strikes of military strategy by the Russians. I've heard people describe it as a pincer move, as a cauldron, as a way to cut off the last of the Ukrainian troops from their supply chains and force a, a 
uncompromised surrender from Ukraine. That, I think, is guaranteed. However, I want to speak to you about the potential grand strategy of the United States. Most people think of tactics, which are battles that help you win a strategy. But the grand strategy is what happens after the tactics have been used, the war has been fought. The grand strategy is what is the long-term outcome that you wish to see happen? And I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. Here's what I think the grand strategy of the United States is. So as Russia takes over these different cities, these pinch points, they're definitely going to annex them. And what does it mean to annex something? Well, it means you redraw your boundaries of your country. And as soon as Russia begins drawing new boundaries, new lines on a map to extend their borders, you know, it becomes a political game and other countries begin thinking, well, why can't I redraw my boundaries? And if you look at the strategic area of Ukraine, the strategic land of Ukraine, part of it used to be Poland. You know, how does Poland feel about Ukraine? How does Poland feel about Russia? You know, how many deep scars and chasms have been unattended since World War II? A lot of them. A lot of them. And I think that when you see a weakened Ukraine, you're going to start to see people redrawing borders. Now, let's also go ahead and add in a financial collapse of the European Union. It seems to me that it is suicide for countries like Germany to stop buying the very necessities they need to keep their country as an industrialized powerhouse without fuel, without oil. Germany, the European Union, can no longer produce anything. They need the resources from Russia to keep their houses warm, to keep their cars being built, to continue to be an industrialized society. And yet the leaders in Brussels and the unelected bureaucrats are telling all of Europe, hey, you cannot buy, you cannot fund the Russian war machine. The only way for us to win and seize their resources is to starve them, and you're buying their oil. You are perpetrating. You are continuing to fund the very machine that is killing us. You must stop. However, how can they stop? They need that to live. And whose interest is that in? Whose interest is it in for these countries that need these resources to stop buying them? I think it's in the United States' interest. Okay, now hear me out. We start, Russia begins redrawing lines on a map. That makes countries really nervous. All of a sudden, Poland starts redrawing maps. And then you have a united Germany whose currency is about to crash. The entire euro is about to crash. They have negative interest rates. And as soon as they cut off the lifeline, the oil, the gas, everything tanks. And when everything tanks, what do you have? You have chaos. So now you have a Russian border moving ever west. You have 
a collapsed economy. You have a unified Germany. Not to mention Germany is beginning to increase their heavy weapons output to send weapons to the Ukraine. So you have an ever-growing, aggressive nature of a unified Germany. You have incredibly unhappy people. You have a lack of resources. You have old scores to be settled. You have lines on maps being changed. You have the soon to be break up of the European Union and you know the idea of the European Union was to make sure that there's never a war there again so as soon as you see the collapse of the European Union the collapse of the euro as a monetary union you have chaos and it's not like this hasn't happened before in fact this happens all the time world war 1 world war 2 it's in the same area right over here it's the same people and their mad ideas. So the grand strategy, I think, of the United States is, is what we're doing. We're just pumping weapons over there. Here, here's some guns. Here's some weapons. Here's some tanks. Here's some planes. Here's some missiles. Here, do what you got to do. We're just fanning the flames of the European crisis. You know, there's a lot of people that say, that the birth of the American middle class was due to the destruction of industry in Europe. And so here we are in the United States, separated on both sides by oceans. Here we are, the de facto world's island, and we are just flooding. You know, it's, it's kind of like the way the Sackler family flooded the Midwest with opium or opiates and they just let all our people die. In a way, we're doing that to Europe by flooding them with weapons. Like, here you guys go. Hey, here's some oil. Here's some weapons. Oh, okay, yeah, you should, these guys, you know, we're, we're just instigating the whole thing. In the event that there is a war over there and the United States has the ability, the, the fortitude just to stay out of it, Maybe we send weapons. Maybe we send other stuff. And I'm not saying I agree with this strategy. I'm not saying that it's my idea to do this. But I am saying that I think that this is the grand strategy of the United States to survive as the world hegemony. It's the only thing that makes sense. If Europe destroys itself, ruins its industry, then we find ourselves where we were right after World War II and becoming the manufacturing base of the world. Will China take Taiwan? Probably. Will Europe destroy itself? Probably. And in that case, what do you have? What do you have? You have a sort of return of American manufacturing. You have a return of the world dollar hegemony. You know, and at that point in time, if if Russia, if Europe is at war, if you have a world of inflation, then you have people turning back to the only stability in the world and that would be the dollar that would be the United States of America that would be that would be the ultimate divide and conquer strategy that 
has been the dominant strategy of our country for or you know for most countries for time immortal time immortal so that's what i think you're seeing over there i wouldn't be surprised to see it happen sooner rather than later you know fall tends to be a time you know you get the october surprise you got elections coming up it'll be interesting to see what happens on sunday with marie le pen if she gets elected and just throws a whole monkey wrench into this game or even if she doesn't get elected and they find some sort of election rigging in France, I believe that that could cause an uproar. I want to also bring up the the Nazi ideology of the Asimov brigade there. You know, it's not like one brigade. That ideology seems... And, and I'm not there. I've read a little bit. So take what I say with a grain of salt. It could be all bullshit. You probably, probably shouldn't even listen to me. Like, I'm a damn truck driver. But this is what I see. So, you know, you still have that ideology that is rampant in some of those Baltic countries. You have some of that lingering ideology that is rampant in Greece, in Germany. You know, you have a lot of this ideology that still exists there. And let's say that the Ukrainian fighters are pushed out of out of the Ukraine. Well, they get they flee. They either get murdered or they flee. And if they flee, you know, they much like other people who flee, they can become agents of radicalization. And let's face it: when your country has no money, when your country has no rule of law then your country has lost a little bit of hope. And when people lose hope, they look for enemies. And if you can blame the, you know, whoever, it for the Nazis, it seems to be the Jews. It seems to be the idea that the Jewish people run the banking industries, that they are responsible for the corrupt nature of of money. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know how else to say it, but that's that's what I have read, at least what you know, if you read Mein Kampf or if you read, you know, different ideas of what happened in World War II, that seems to be a lot of where the anger is headed to. And so it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to see a revitalization of the Nazi ideology in in and Let's not forget that it was the Nazis that killed over 30 million Russians. And that's why I think you see such a a no-holds-barred, all-business, calculated maneuvering by Putin and the Russian army. Like These guys are no joke. You know, they are among the most intelligent, disciplined military strategists in the world. And when you got nothing left to lose, you fight with everything you have. There's a lot of talk about Finland potentially becoming part of NATO. And I'm pretty sure that Russia has made it incredibly clear that if Finland were to join NATO, then they would be destroyed. I think in World War II, Finland sided with the Nazis and you know, Russia never really 
forgave them for that. And, you know, they're, they're so close to the Russian border, close to St. Petersburg. And I, I don't think they're going to let Finland become an area in which they could harbor missiles that could hit the second biggest city in a matter of minutes. And so I don't think it's so much of Russia being the aggressor as it is Russia finally being pushed far enough to say, okay, you know what? I'm pushing back now. And there's no, I've given you every opportunity. I've apologized. I've turned my back. I've tried to walk away. I've given you opportunities. And you just kept pushing me. Now I'm about to whoop your ass. And I think that that's what they're going to do. I think it's going to take, I, I don't, Another idea I had is maybe this is Europe's opportunity. Maybe what Europe is trying to do is to finally build a European army. They've never had a united army before, and they can't have one. Like, let's face it, NATO is, it is dysfunctional, it is divided, and no one there gets along. However, I think that the people in Brussels' idea of the European Union was to first start off as an economic union and then try and create a European army. And you could argue that that is what they're trying to do now, but there's too many countries that don't agree with what, or are not aligned with what the people in Brussels want. So you're not going to have a European army. You're going to have European destruction. I would look for, if you, I would look for the Euro to crash. Um, if, if Germany makes the decision to boycott buying oil from Russia, then they are making a decision to go to war with parts of themselves and the rest of Europe. And I think that the United States would benefit from that, not in a way that is polite or something that I want to see happen. I don't want anybody to die. I don't want there to be war. But I think that the powers that be, if you're, if you're a military strategist, you're looking at this like, okay, these guys are going to war. Um, how do we come out of this on top? Because, look, that's, that's what people who study war do, right? How do you win? War means winning at any cost. And I think that there are a lot of people that still love this country and when push come to shove, hey, here's a way for us to not send troops. Here's a way for us to recover our economy. Here's a way for our country to stay on top for the next 100 years. And uh, I think that's what you're seeing. I think that's the grand strategy of the United States is just to feed the fire, watch the destruction, and then come in and, and you know, save American manufacturing. How do you move everything back over here? Well, you need to declare China an enemy. You would have to have all these, this instability for people to flow their money and their assets back to this world of stability. And in this world we're in now of inflation and crisis and lack of resources and whatever global warming means, you know, the United States is the prettiest ugly sister in the ball. Well, that's how I see it. I don't mean to bum anybody out, but I, I, I'm curious, what do you guys think? Is what you're seeing the grand strategy of the United States? 
Or are we just free floating out here trying to, you know, I don't know. Like That's something I can think of. That's the only thing I can think of that makes sense from a strategic point of view. Like, Why are we sending billions of dollars of weapons to Ukraine when as soon as they land, Russia destroys them? You could argue that, oh, well, we're just propping up the military industrial complex. Probably, but, you know, how much money of that gets fed back into the U.S. economy? I, I hear it's a big leaky bucket. I get it. You, you pay these weapons and defense contractor millions of dollars for the CEOs and their, their um, excuse is, well, look, it's a leaky bucket, so a large portion of these billions of dollars falls out of the bucket and gets into the hands of actual Americans and, and whatnot. But I, I, I think you could also factor in the idea of the Federal Reserve, the U.S. dollar, and the Bank of International Settlements. Like I, You could argue that there is a financial war going on between who is going to control the monetary system of the future. And if you have the Bank of International Settlements in Switzerland wanting to control the world, and then you have all these banks over here, the Federal Reserve saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you telling me that you want to destroy our currency and cut us out of the game? Is that what you're saying? Because we ain't doing that. You know, there's an interesting guy named Tom Luongo who makes that exact claim. And he says that what you're seeing is, in a, is a financial coup trying to happen by the people in Brussels, by the old moneyed families, the BIS, trying to take over hegemony and control the entire monetary system in the the Fed, the Federal Reserve, and the 12 banks are fighting back. Like, hey, wait, no, you're not going to take our life from us. You know, you can go pound sand. It's an interesting concept. But again, I think that that feeds into the idea of the grand strategy that we spoke of earlier where, okay, let's just have high interest rates. Let's have some inflation. We'll flood Europe with the weapons they need to kill themselves. Some of the leaky bucket, military, industrial, dirty money falls out of the bucket. Manufacturing comes back to the U.S. Eventually, we can you know, drop rates and money floods into the United States because it's the only stable place left. And bada-bing, bada-boom. You, know, you get the hegemony for another 100 years. Well, that's what I got for today, ladies and gentlemen. I hope your day continues to be beautiful. Let me know what you think about the grand strategy, the potential of World War III, and the idea that history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes, and that is what the U.S. is trying to do. That's all we got for today. Let's get up and get at them. Aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that 
I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, Go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.